Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. talking about the way tonight we're going to be dealing with the outer court we're going to be dealing with the entrance into the the the, the outer court and with the brazen altar Um, i'm not going to be able to get to the labor tonight that's part of the way Uh, but i want to spend all next time on the labor because it is an important uh really important part that i want to cover and we'll get to the some of the others at a later time Amen. If you have your Bibles, our opening scriptures are 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and St. John chapter 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant. First of all, look, he's addressing to the brothers. He's addressing to the brothers. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Then I want you to look at something very closely. And it says they all did eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. And four, they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them And that rock was Christ. What Paul is telling us here is that there were some spiritual dimensions hidden in the natural things, in their drink and in their meat. Now, I have a little bit different graphics tonight uh, because I put all these together. We have a lot of pictures we're going to be going through. If you want to move up a little bit closer for a better view, you won't bother me one bit. Amen. So if you'd like to move up closer, that would be fine. John uh, chapter 14 and verse 6. John 14 and verse 6. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Can we just read that aloud together? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So tonight we're going to be talking about the way. We're going to begin in our series with point number one. Lord bless you can be seated. We're going to begin with our lesson tonight with discovering the way. Everybody say discovering the way. In particular, there are main three three parts to what we consider the way. It's the outer court the altar, and the laver. The outer court, the altar, and the laver. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's speaking of a progressive experience and revelation. I don't believe that God ever intended for us to remain stagnant spiritually. I don't believe the Lord ever intended for any of us to remain stagnant spiritually. Ezekiel was in water ankle deep, loin deep, and then swimming. It ought to be progressive, progressive. Jesus is 
the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we look at the outer court, we're primarily going to be talking about the out, or the way. We're going to be talking about the outer court, the altar, and the laver. When you begin to look at Scripture, you will find the way mentioned throughout Scripture. Look at Psalms chapter 18 and verse 30 and Psalms 5 and verse 8. As for God, his way is perfect. His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. And then in, in Psalm 5 and 8, he said, Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness, because my enemies make thy way straight before my face. Lead me, O Lord. Make thy way straight. It's your way. It's your way. There is no other way that will help us lead us in the right direction. Let's look at also Psalm 86 and 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Teach me thy way. Now the writer of Proverbs says in 14 and 12, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. One cannot meander into the presence of the Lord like running in out of the rain or just all of a sudden slip into revelation without intentionally seeking the Lord. Encounters with God happen by design. He said, I must needs go to Samaria. I'm going to meet a woman at the well. I must. Uh, any encounter you have with the Lord, the Lord is there. Now, if we miss our encounters because we didn't show up there, we didn't show up there. So there is a way that the Lord has for us, amen, that we need to be progressive and encountering into the way. Let's go to slide seven, please. Now look at this tabernacle overview. Can you imagine this is a, a, a depiction of the evening time uh, where you have all the camp of Israel around about and in the middle of it is, is the white linen fence that we had mentioned before. We're going to deal with that a little bit more tonight. In the middle you have the, the uh, altar of incense, the laver, and then the tabernacle proper. What an incredible thing God has revealed to us through the, tatter, the tabernacle. When God revealed the tabernacle pattern to Israel, he started with the most vital and significant piece of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant. God's first order of construction was his ark because it represented where his glory resides. Amen. God begins with his glory, not ours. Adam, God's creation, started life in the dimension of divine significance. Adam was perfect. But after his fall, he was no longer perfect. Adam lost the right with that imperfection of sin to commune with God on the same level of... Can you imagine whatever, that, whatever it looked like, what it might have looked like for Adam to commune with the Lord in the cool of the day? And the Bible said the voice of the Lord went, you know, he, where, as God was talking and communing with him and, and fellowshipping with him. And then when sin came... He hid himself from God because he knew that he was now fallen. Now all of humanity is on the outside of God's presence, 
All of the, and in depiction, and remember what we're preaching about and teaching about tonight is not a doctrine, but rather types and shadows that lead us to the doctrine. Okay, we don't want to make a doctrine out of typology, and we're going to get into some things that we see as types, but they're not about doctrine. They are about revealing as the shadow leads to the image. You can follow that shadow and find the truth there. God gave Moses to the instruction to build the tabernacle from the holies of holies where the fire is burning all the way out. That's where he started. That's how God operates from the inside out, from the inside of man to his outside. God begins with his power and his presence and his holiness with himself on the inside. We understand for us to once again commune with God in the power and demonstration of his glory, we start, as it were, walking to him to get to his presence. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. Somebody say progression. But we all with open face beholding as in the glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. It is ever increasing walk with God. There ought to be more passion in you today than there was the first time you believed. There ought to be more passion in me today than the first night as I was seven years old was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I ought to have more passion and I'm thankful that it's progressive. I love him more today than I did yesterday. Anybody love the Lord more today than what you did yesterday? So God's people are on the pathway of progression designed by God to get closer to him through faith and perseverance. All right. Let's look at the, the way of order. There's order in this way. There's order in this way. Somebody say there's order. When you consider the camp and how that Israel camped, they didn't just throw up tents anywhere. Can you imagine for the sake of of numbering, it was somewhere around one to three million people estimate. Let's go with two, just be kind of conservative here. Can you imagine two million people camping around this this tent, around this tabernacle, and and people saying, I think I'm going to camp over here. I want this in my camping spot. I want my camping spot. You took my. Well, Eli, you took. Sorry, I'm trying to find, think of a name that nobody's here. I was thinking of a Hebrew name, Eli. Mm-hmm. Shem. I don't know any Shem that's here. So Shem, you decided you can park in my my tent spot. That's my tent spot. But I begin to look, and there's some really cool insights that I see that is shown in just the camp. Within the teaching of the tabernacle, we find some incredible insights and examples even in the camp. We find it was, it was some 12 miles square. 12 miles. This camp was 12 miles this way, 12 miles this way, 12 miles that. Can you imagine a camp from here? To Brownstown. And then the same way that way, there again, and back again, 12 miles square. Imagine how they needed organization to function. 
They needed order to know how to function. Imagine these thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousand tents. And all of them were made out of black goat hair. Uh, and, and you can go today and see the Bedouins that live in Israel still today and live in black goat hair tents. It would just cover the, the, the brown sand with just for, for as far as you could see. You can go on the top of a mountain and you imagine and looking as far as you can see and seeing black tents this way and black tents that way and black tents this way. And in the middle is a white fence. This was in the center of the camp. It was in the center of a camp. Let's look at what the, the Bible, what, what the Bible says about things done in order. 1 Corinthians 14 and 40. Let all things, somebody say all things, be done decently and in order. It matters how it's arranged. It, is, it matters how it looks. Decently refers to how it looks. In order refers to how it is arranged. God is about bringing order to chaos. Everywhere he goes, he brings order to chaos. Somebody say, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. Got any chaos in your life? Add some God. He takes that which is without form and void, that which is dark, and creates the world. Creates the world. Let's, let's look at uh, the marching orders, an overview here, the marching orders of, of the camp. And, and uh, again, you can see that this artist has depicted a really cool layout a design of all of this encampment around here. And as you look at the tabernacle here, you would find that this is the east, the north, the west, and the south. And you have all the different tribes around the tabernacle. And the closest ones that were to the tabernacle were the priest. Were the priest. The priests were to be the closest one to the tabernacle. We find that the tabernacle was the center of their everyday life. The tabernacle was the center of their everyday life. How many know living for God, not just going to church, but living for God, being a Christian, <clears throat> being a part of the church, <clears throat> ought to be the center of our everyday life. Everyone had their set place around the tabernacle. We find, we find that the Bible says that God has set us as members in the New Testament church Every one of us in the body as it pleases us. Now over, over here on the left, on the south side, you got Reuben that could have said, and Reuben and all of his folks and said, I want to be where Dan is. I'm going to go over here and kick Dan out and make Dan know there was a prescribed way that they had to camp. The priesthood was positioned in close proximity to the tabernacle Amen. So they, they can be ready for ministry. We are called a kingdom of priests offering spiritual sacrifices. So we need a close relationship with God and be able to quickly get engaged with ministry. Somebody say amen. Put the next slide up if you would please. I want to show you something that to me is incredible. It is incredible. I want to show you Christ in the camp. Everybody say Christ in the camp. Again, this is how God reveals things through typology. When you study the book of Matthew, you will find that Matthew presents Jesus as the Messiah King. 
Messiah King. And the close thing associated to Messiah King is related to the four faces that depict the Lord in Ezekiel and, uh, and how that the Lord is seen and revealed in these four typologies of faces of, of different things, the lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle. But look at this. Matthew, we see him presenting Jesus as the lion, the Messiah king that came to rule and to reign. Matthew has a genealogy that begins with all this begot, 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 this one begot that one, and this one begot that one. How many have read Matthew? Mm -hmm. Well, it's important to understand the genealogy of a king who reigned before, who was there before. And so that's why Matthew depicts it as having a genealogy. If you look in Mark, you see Mark presenting Jesus as the servant. The servant, the one who came to serve and to suffer. He presents no genealogy. Mark, there is no genealogy because as a servant, a servant hasn't got any rights. He came to serve. All right. In Luke, we find Jesus presented as the Son of Man or the Man. Amen. And he came to share and to uh, sympathize and empathize with men. And there is a genealogy listed in Luke. But when you come to John, you see John presented him as the Son of God. God manifest in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1 and 1. And so he shows Jesus as he came to reveal himself to us in redemption and also to reveal himself in his person, to understand who Christ is. Now, let's, let's bring this into to the, the, the camp here. We, you can see the tabernacle as it is, it is sitting in the center, and uh, <clears throat> we find that Judah is encamped on the south, or, or rather on the, got my angles messed up, that's on the east side. Right at the opening of the tabernacle proper, there is Judah. And you know what the flag is of Judah? A lion. If you look over here, you will find the, the tribe of, 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 of Reuben. On the south side, you'll find the tribe of Reuben, and their banner is that of a man. On the west side is the tribe of Ephraim, and there are some others that are mentioned, but I want to point out Ephraim, who is on the west side leading the way, and his banner is that of an ox. Over here on the north side is Dan, and the banner that flew over Dan was the eagle. So you have the, the, the lion, you have the man, you have the ox, and you have the eagle. You have Matthew. As Judah, you will find that the tribe of Judah, under the tribe of Judah is the tribe Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. Do you know what their names mean? Judah means praise. Judah means worship. Judah means king. Amen. Issachar means bringing a reward or lifting up or setting up advances. Zebulun means dwelling with or inhabits. So we find that as our king, he is the one we worship. He is the one that we adore. He is the one that we lift up. Amen. He is the one that dwells with us and tabernacles with us. 
with us. So we find Christ in the, the insignia or the banner or the flag of the tribe of Judah. Then we also see over here on this side is the tribe of Reuben who had the banner of man. Do you know what Reuben means? Reuben means behold a son. Reuben was the firstborn son. Jesus was the only begotten son of God. Issachar, his name means the bringer of rewards, the one who lifts up, or, or I'm sorry, Simeon rather. I jumped back up to Judah. Reuben and Simeon and Gad are under the banner here of the man. And Simeon means hearing with acceptance, listening and obeying. Jesus, the Bible said, as a man grew because of his obedience. Right? Gad is a troop, a pressing together of a great group. Amen. Under the banner of a, a man. We find that also is the Ephraim on, on that west side there is Ephraim. And his banner is that of an ox. An ox, amen, is about the servant. It is the book of Mark that we find that he, he, he depicts for us who Jesus is. And so Ephraim means shall be doubly fruitful doubly fruitful manasseh who stands with ephraim means is means causes to forget benjamin means the son of the right hand are the strong one. So you find that Jesus Christ depicted here as the servant in the banner of the ox. Then we look over here on, on, on the north side is the camp of Dan. And the banner of Dan is an eagle, which Dan means to judge or to vindicate. Amen. This speaks of the, of the, the manifestation of the Lord being the Son of God. Asher was with Dan, and that means to pronounce happy or to be pronounced fortunate, to pronounce blessed. Hallelujah. How many know that our God blesses us in so many ways? Naphtali means to wrestle or to struggle. I want to tell you that our Lord is the one that fights for us. Our God, be still and know that he is God. Yeah, that's, that's, that's Christ in the camp. Of course, we also know he is our high priest. He's our king. He's our servant. He is man. And he is God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. All right, let's go to the next slide, please. Talk about the outer court just for a little bit. Again, back to the picture of, the, of looking in on this outer court. The first thing that grabs your attention is the separation between the black tents and the white fence. The separation between the holy and the unholy. This linen wall was about five cubits high or about seven and a half feet high was five cubic high, about seven and a half feet high. There's a debate over how far a cubit is and what, what a cubit is. But it hung on 60 pillars of, of brass in sockets of brass. These were connected by silver rods and silver caps on top of each pillar. Next one, please. As you see, all of the different posts around this fence holding up this linen fence and putting it together, 
All right, go to the next slide, please. Here is a depiction of the post that is holding up the linen fence. You will find that it is made up of, of captors right at the top that was made of wood overlaid with silver. The post itself was made of shatim wood. That is the correct pronunciation. Go look it up. Shatim wood overlaid with brass. Or Then we find that it had a, a, a fillet or a rod of silver. It had a hook of silver, and that hook held together the cord like a rope put together. Then we find there was a socket made of brass and a tendon uh, made of brass that was attached so it would attach the post together and they would hold up this linen fence. Now I want to show you some things and and I didn't have it tonight but I'm hoping to have it to you next Tuesday night about different typologies related to uh, elements and to numbers. Again, this is not about making a doctrine out of this. Don't go off the deep end. But let it lead you to understanding the beautiful picture of just this post. One post. Can I get one person to stand up? Just one. All right. Thank you. Two or three. Come here, Brother B. Praise God. You're my post. You're my post. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Just stand here for a minute. All right. The post signifies... And typifies the believer. Okay? Now, when you look at how it is made, it is made of the wood. It is made of the shatim wood, which is a powerful, powerful wood. A very hardy wood. It's made of that. But then it is overlaid with brass. It's overlaid with brass. You know what brass is symbolized as? Judgment with mercy. God takes the flesh... And by his mercy, he pronounced judgment upon us. But he then covers us to say that you are covered not just with judgment, but judgment with mercy. I like that. How about you? And the incredible thing is that on the top of that was known as a captor or a cap that was made of shatim wood overlaid with silver. And silver means atonement and redemption. So when the Lord looks down at the believer standing there, he looks through his atonement before he ever gets to judgment. Hallelujah. And then you will find, hallelujah, come here, Brother Matt, I need you. Then you find another post. Go just a little ways where y'all can touch hands in Stretch out. There there you go. All right. Then you find other posts. Let's go to the next one, please. I believe it is the next slide. And you will find that these posts then hold up the linen fence. They hold up the linen fence. And, and, And the fine linen here speaks of the spotless purity of Christ. For linen means righteousness. Righteousness. So here's the type. Righteousness stands because of judgment with mercy. Righteousness stands not on its own, but because you have pillars that are connected with righteous judgment or judgment with mercy covered by atonement. Hallelujah. So the the righteousness of God is not held up by my works. Though I am involved with it, it's held up by what is overlaying me. It's held up by what he calls me. You see that? 
My Bible reads that our righteousness is filthy rags. But because there is a righteous... Get, get your hands back up just to get, get... These are the silver rods right here that are connected here one to another. Hmm, silver rods. Praise God. Don't you love these guys? How long should I make them stand there like that? No, 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 no problem. But you find that, that and some discuss whether the, the posts were inside or outside, but the sake of it is, is that that linen fence that you saw spoke of the righteousness of God, and it was white on the outside and white on the inside. Held up by individual posts connected one with another. You see, thank you, brothers. Y'all can sit down. Praise God. Give my post a great big hand. Go to the next slide, please. Again, we go back to, to the depiction of just the, just the, the tent or just the, um, the linen fence being held up. And here's what the linen fence speaks to me about. Number one, it speaks about connection. We understand individually it, it speaks about us being redeemed and covered and atoned. But together, these, these, these uh, posts and the linen fence are connected together so all the posts are connected with the silver rods, which mean atonement, and with the linen fence, which means righteousness. So what I relate to you with is not about a grudge or an offense our family, and I didn't mean that uh, in, boy, I had so many puns going through my head about that. <laughs> but it is about the fact that we could say that what connects us is the atonement. It is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It is the atonement. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the redemption of the newborn uh, experience that connects us. As that one fence. It, so it speaks of connection. The, another thing it speaks of is separation. How many know righteousness tends to stand out in a dark world? Righteousness tends to stand out in a dark world. The absolute standards of God tend to stand out. I'm not just talking about a dress code. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about conversation. I'm talking about integrity. I'm talking about doing things unlike the world, telling the truth. Your word being your bond. Y'all okay? So the linen fence that goes around here speaks about connection. It speaks about separation. Amen. If you're going to go to the meeting place with God and into the presence of the Lord where you experience his glory and make your way to the holy of the holies, there must be separation. You can't have just one hand in the world and one hand you're going to follow God. There must be separation. The third thing that I want to show you is it, it, it speaks of protection. Somebody say protection. Protection. The linen fence acted as a barrier and declared, unless you come through the way, keep out. Unless you come through the way, keep out. There is only one way. All right, let's move to uh, number three on your, on your notes. I only have four in your notes, but you notice you got four has got one page. All right. Let's talk about 
the gate to the way. The gate to the way. To worship the Lord or to come to his sanctuary, you would see the linen fence and come around to what we would call the front on the east side. Amen. You would find on the outside of the outer court, outside of this linen curtain, you would come to a place where there would be an opening for for interaction with what's going on in the inner court or into the, uh, rather the outer court getting inside of the linen fence. Once inside this court, once inside, you will find that there's such a, a message of protection here. You can't see over into the black goat's hair. It's too high. You're secure in the part of what you're going with. Can I just tell you, the world has nothing to do with your redemption, has nothing to do with your salvation, has nothing to do with who you are as a child of God. Nothing. The world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. All right. Uh, Let's look at John 10 and 1. Jesus said it like this. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up any other way, the same is a thief and a robber. There's only one way into the sanctuary. There's only one way into the sanctuary. It is fruitless, dear one, to try to explain the glory of the brazen altar to somebody stuck in their black tent. It's foolish to try to tell somebody. Can I just tell you that unless somebody is open to the word, you have to be careful how much you give them. You want to give them just a little bit to make them hungry. Don't feed them a whole whole load of things. Just give them enough to make them hungry because you can't explain the glory behind the tent if they can't even get to the gate. They have to get to the gate. Uh, look, at, look at John 10 and verse 9. Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. There's one gate, one way, Amen. It's, it's always uh, facing the east. It's the only entrance into the presence of the Lord. There is no other way. There's no back door. There are no shortcuts. Amen. You've got to follow the linen fence around to the front and enter into the gate of the court. Now, let's talk about this. Let's go to uh, 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 slide 21 there, Exodus 38, 18. <clears throat> All right. It might be a little small. Hang on there. And the hanging for the gate of the court was needlework of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen. Twenty cubits was the length and the height and the breadth was five cubits answerable to the hangings of the court. And their pillars were four, and their sockets of brass four, and their hooks of silver, and overlaid of their captors, and the fillet of silver. There was no mistaking the entrance. You had the white, beautiful finch, the fine twine linen all around, but then you come into the entranceway here, and you begin to come to the point where you see that there's something colorful. It catches your eye. The, the, uh, and, and the scripture tells us what it's made of. The fine twine linen speaks of the righteousness 
of the Lord, and that is depiction of Luke being our son of man, a man who knew no sin, what was made sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. So when you look at the white part of that, it would depict as it were, the righteousness of God. The inworking of blue speaks of heavenly, the Son of God. We find the Gospel of John, amen, speaks of, again, him, the heavenly, the Son of God, amen, manifested in flesh. The inworking of scarlet speaks of atonement or sacrifice. That is where you find Mark as being the one who gave his life as a servant. The inworking of purple speaks of the royal. It speaks of Matthew. Amen. So what you're seeing here is that if you're going to go in this way, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. So if you're going to go into the presence of the Lord, you have to go through Jesus. I said you have to go through Jesus. You have to go through his righteousness. You have to go through his heavenly character. You have to go through his atonement. You have to go through his kingship. Amen. If you're going to go in the glory, there's only one way. There's only one righteous one. There is only one heavenly one. There is only one saving one. There is only one wise king. Amen. I want to tell you today that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. All right, on your notes, let's go to point number four and the brazen altar. Praise God. So after you come through the gate, the very first piece of furniture that you find would be the brazen altar. Let's find out what the Bible says about this. Open your Bibles or look at Exodus 27, 1 through 8. Let's begin. Verse 1. Thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood five cubits long, five cubits broad, and the altar shall be four square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. And thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof, his horn shall be of the same, and thou shalt overlay it with brass. Verse 3. And thou shalt make his pans to receive his ashes and his shovels and his basins and flesh hooks and his fire pans and all the vessels thereof thou shalt make of brass. And thou shalt make for it a grate of network of brass. Upon the net shalt thou make four base brazen rings in the four corners thereof. Verse 5, And thou shalt put it under the compass of the altar beneath that the net may be even in the midst of the altar. And thou shalt make stays for the altar, stays of shittim wood, and overlay them with brass. Verse 7, And the staves shall be put into the rings, and the staves shall be upon the two sides of the altar to bear it. Hollow with boards shalt thou make it, as it was shown thee in the mount, thou shalt make it. All right. Let's look at the next slide. We get to the, the brazen altar. This kind of gives us a layout, if you can see that, of this magnificent piece of furniture with its four corners. It was made four square, and we find that it had horns on all four corners, and there's the depiction of the great 
that they would lay the sacrifices in and catch the sacrifices here with its rings and with its staves. Uh, And that just gives you a visual image of what we're talking about. For Israel, the sight of fire, smoke, blood, and the smell of burning flesh was constant. They brought their sacrifices. They smelt the aroma. If they were anywhere close, they could hear as this. uh, Can you imagine imagine the, the busyness around here? Can you imagine the blood? Can you imagine the animals dealing with the animals, their skin? And then they had all they had to deal with. And, and you know what they wore? White linen garments. <laughs> We're going to talk about that, the Lord willing, one of these days. Uh, but the white garment, I will tell you something I come across, and again, this is not substantiating Bible, but rather by research of some folks that did some re- research about the linen that they used. And evidently, the molecules of that linen was so unique that when they would begin to wash it, it would release the blood. It would release the animal stains and the manure stains, and it would release it. That'll preach. You, you're going to live for the Lord. You're going to come in contact with all kinds of stuff, but it don't have to stick to you. Don't have to stick to you. All right. The altar demonstrated the ugliness of sin the repulsiveness of sin. In the eyes of God, the smell of judged sin, though if you look at Exodus 29, 18, verse 25, and verse 41 of of Exodus 29, you will find that God said judged sin is a sweet-smelling savor to him. To the natural man, Calvary looks like a bloody mess. There is nothing beautiful about Calvary. I do not think that there has yet been a movie produced that could ever depict, even the most gory has yet to depict the reality of what our Lord suffered. The gore surrounding the altar depicted the gore and the stench of sin. The prophet said of Christ and his brazen altar, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We, did, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. The Lamb of God, the Lamb of glory, took upon himself the stench of the world. Yet it pleased God to bruise him. Ugly from one vantage point, but beautiful from another vantage point. I wonder today if we could have somehow seen from heaven's point of view what was happening at Calvary. And if we look from man's point of view, we see the blood, we see the crown of thorns, and we see the, the stains, we see the, 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 the beating and the flogging and the beard being pulled out. But from heaven's point of view, from heaven's point of view, the Bible said, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. What was it? Because God saw it differently than we do. But before humanity could ever approach the beauty and splendor and glory of God, he's got to stop at the brazen altar. He's got to stop at the brazen altar. What does that speak of? It speaks of repentance and judge sin. 
repentance and judge sin. The Hebrew word for altar conveys the concept of sacrifice. Its root derivative is the word that signifies to slay or to slaughter. The altar is a place of sacrifice, a place of slaughter. Amen. One cannot bypass the altar and get to the holy place. You have to stop at the altar first. You want to go into where the glory is and the gold is and all the beauty of the inside of the tabernacle? You have to start at the, you got to stop by the brazen altar before you get to the holy place. Amen. There is not two brazen altars, there's one. Unlike the multiple idol worshipers of Egypt, Israel had only one way to God. Only one altar. There's only one entrance into a covenant relationship. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the way. Hallelujah. There's only one sacrifice that will ever get you to heaven. And that's because of what Jesus did at Calvary. Because he did it at Calvary, I can make it. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. First slide. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. They had to offer all kinds of sacrifice on the brazen altar, but when Jesus came, he said, I am fulfilling everything that they did. I am the one spotless land. We find in verse 11, it says, And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifice, which could never take away sin. What did they do it for? They rolled sin ahead. Maybe folks would be more... Faithful church, the only way they can get their sins taken care of is make sure they were in church so their sin would get rolled ahead another year. That was just a crazy thought that hit me. But thanks be to God, we don't have to do that anymore because Jesus fulfilled it. Look at verse 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God from henceforth uh, expecting till his enemies uh, be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. One visit to Calvary will change your life forever. Verse 15, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put their laws in their hearts and their minds will I write them and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. When you stop at the brazen altar of Calvary, when you go by what Jesus did at Calvary, your sins can be forever washed away, forever ever washed away. <laughs> Amen. Let's put the brazen altar back up if you would, please. Sin is judged here. God was particular about the construction of this particular altar. It could have no engraven markings to promote it as an object of worship. It was plain. It was not to be elaborate with all kinds of things on it, it was to be something to look at the sacrifice on the inside. The focus must be on the body of the sacrifice, not on the furniture. It's not the cross itself. Doesn't matter how many you put around your neck, 
Doesn't matter how many you hang from your 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 rearview mirror. How many people having a cross? The cross is not was not what brought redemption. It was just simply the place that the sacrifice was put on. The priests had to wear undergarments down to their feet. Their outward garments went down to their feet. They had breeches on. So when they, when they were working around this, whether they were bending over or if they had to climb up on a, 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 a you know, some have depicted that there is a, a ramp that they had to climb up on to help do the sacrifice and all that, they were never to get immodest. What were they doing? They were wanting nothing to distract them from the sacrifice. Do you think today that the reason that we talk about being modest is about us just to look holy and good? No. We want the glory of the Lord that ought to be shining from our face. It ought to be shining from our face. Not because we've got certain things too low, too tight, too narrow, too up, too down. Amen. It's about making sure that we are covered in a way that brings glory to God. Glory to God. So the High priests could not be exposed to the altar as the common heathen altars were where uh, nudity was promoted. It was made of shatim wood overlaid with brass. Shatim wood is a hard, incorruptible, and indestructible wood that grows in the uh, uh, Sinai area, the Sinai desert. It speaks of the humanity of Christ who came from a root out of a dry ground Isaiah said and was sinless in his nature. Hebrews chapter 4. The indispensability of the word speaks of Christ and his humanity and we understand that, that the fire of the crucifixion and the death and the decaying of the effect amen that it had on others he didn't have, he gave up his body. They didn't take it. The Bible said he gave up the ghost. They tried their best to condemn him, but he did not. Look at Hebrews chapter uh, chapter 2 and verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Somebody say amen. Don't have to fear death anymore because it's taken out of his hands and delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. But verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. As Jesus is depicted in the brazen altar of his flesh, amen, as part of that sacrifice. Let's look at the dimensions of the altar right quick. All of the other pieces of furniture they, are, they have told us could fit within the brazen altar. All the other pieces. Could you uh, put the brazen altar back up there for me? Yes, thank you. All of the other, they, they say that all the other pieces of the furniture would be able to fit into that. Amen. Five cubits high, five cubits wide, three cubits tall. Made four square 
with the horns of the four corners that speak of power and strength and anointing. And it also tells us of the four purposes that this redemptive uh, uh, furniture speaks of. Redemption, ransom, substitution, and reconciliation. Christ was bound by the power of his purpose to be our brazen altar. And so in Romans chapter 6 and verse 11 it says, Likewise reckon ye also yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. When they took the, uh, uh, the sacrifice on the altar and they put it on the altar and that priest would use the utensils that we, we talked about. He was saying to all of Israel, your sins, your sins, your iniquity, your transgression is being taken care of in this sacrifice. <coughs> when I look at the work of Jesus, I reckon that my sins are gone. Somebody say hallelujah. Let's talk about the fire on the altar, the divine fire on the altar. Leviticus 6, 12. And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn the wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order upon it. He shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offerings. And the fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. It shall never go out. In the dedication of the tabernacle, the glory of the Lord filled the place and upon the ark and in the holies of holies and out from the glory proceeded a divine fire that they later took and put it upon the brazen altar. The same glory that fell from heaven is still on the altar. Keep it burning. Keep it burning. Keep it burning. Amen. Look how the fire fell. Leviticus 9, 23. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation and came out and blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people and there came a fire out from before the Lord and it consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat which they all which when all the people saw they shouted and fell on their faces at the cross the fire came from glory came from God's holiness and his righteousness and came upon the the sacrifice and pronounce the judgment upon sin and the lamb, the spotless lamb Jesus Christ took that fire and poured it on the church in the upper room from the brazen altar to the upper room. It's a fire that should never go out. It's a fire that should never go out. From the cross to the upper room, a fire should never go out. It's the same fire that lit the candlesticks inside of the temple. Amen. The same fire. Same fire. Amen. If you wouldn't mind, put the overview of the tabernacle up. I want to just give you just a little, another bird's eye view. <clears throat> this is depicting the white linen fence around this this little picture here, and here is the entryway, the way we just talked about. You come into the altar, and then the next thing, you come to the laver, and this is known as the outer court or the way, depicting in Jesus Christ. Then you come into uh, the, the tabernacle proper, 
The first room you come into would be known as the holy place where the altar of incense is, the candlestick, and the table of shewbread, which we'll get into later. And that is known as the holy place or the truth. Your way gets more narrow as you begin to come into this opening to this opening. The way gets more narrow. As you get closer to the revelation of the holiness of God, your way is going to get much more narrow, but much more glorious. You may sacrifice seem like a lot, but it's going to get more glorious because you're getting closer and closer to the holy of holies, which is the place where the ark of the covenant was, which represents, and is significant of the glory of God and the presence of the Lord or the, the Shekinah glory. So today, if you got nothing to what I say, remember this. There was only one way. You had to go through Jesus. The camp depicts Jesus. The altar, the altar depicts Jesus. We'll find that the labor depicts Jesus. All these things is what we experience. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Would you stand with me, please? I hope. I don't mean to go so fast and try to, I don't want you to miss anything. I don't want you to, to miss anything that I'm, I'm saying in, in the types in the shadow. Sometimes they can get a little bit of, uh, a little bit, bit tricky when you begin to put this one with that one. And, but I want to tell you without reservation that the tabernacle was created after the pattern heaven. I don't really know exactly how that looks in heaven other than this tabernacle with all of its instruments, with all of its, its furniture is depicted as what Moses saw. How that looks in the spiritual, I haven't a clue, but Moses saw it. But what it does is it points us to a way. Can you put the one up just before this, please? Over what this does is it points us to a way into his presence. And I'll tell you something that I do every now and then. I don't do it all the time, but I, I, I do it uh, quite frequently, is that I'll pray through that. I'll pray through that and head my way into his presence. And if you think, well, I can only pray for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, start praying through this. And when we get done, I'm going to get you. I'm going I'm to do my best to get you a guide so you can learn how to pray through the tabernacle. If you can pray through it, by the time you get to the Holy of Holies, you're going to be prayed through, victorious, amen, overcoming. Hallelujah. Praise God. He's done so much for me. He calls me clean. I'm clean because of what he did at Calvary. Amen. And what's going to happen at the labor? I'm clean. I'm clean. I'm set free. Let's praise him right now for this. In the precious name of Jesus. In the precious name of Jesus, Lord, we praise you today that you are the way.
Lord, that you are the way, Lord Jesus. Help us to follow you. Help us to follow after you, Lord Jesus, in the same path, the same way, through death, burial, and resurrection that you have done. Lord, we follow that by faith now. By faith, we repent of our sins. By faith, we are baptized and buried, Lord, with you in baptism. By faith, we are resurrected, Lord, in the newness of life and the infilling of your spirit. By faith, oh God, we understand these things. And we believe them in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com. Saturday.